Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 113. It's May 27th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, we're going to get right down to business. I'm going to talk to you briefly about what happened in the market the past couple days, and then we're going to have a discussion on the pros and cons of using stop losses and protective puts. Now, I'm bringing these up because these are two defense mechanisms you can use to help preserve your profits in the stock market. I think when we're within a percent or two of all-time highs, it's a good subject to talk about. It fits in with the questions that I've been receiving from you lately. And we'll get right into that discussion. But first, let me give you just some brief commentary on the stock market. The crazy volatility, the up one day, down the next day, continues. Yesterday, the S&P 500 was down more than 1%. I think uh, NASDAQ was down close to 1.5%. Today, the exact opposite happened. All the indexes were back up. They pretty much recovered from all the losses they'd made the day before. Uh, the S&P 500 yesterday had not only been down as much as 1%, but it, it actually had gone down and, and hit its 50-day moving average and then ended up closing just above its 50-day moving average. Well, today all that's changed. It's bounced right back up again. The two weeks or so of profits that it wiped out yesterday, it made all up today. The gap between the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average uh, continues to, to be very narrow. The market, although it is at all-time highs, it's trading in a very tight range. We're only a percent or so off an all-time high, and then we're only a percent or so off the 50-day moving average. So while you can say these are the best of times, you can also say, hey, potentially these could be the worst of times too. You know, is the market rolling over? Why is it just trading in such a tight range? Although it's consistently going on to make new highs every couple weeks or couple months, at the same time, you know, year to date, the market's only up, uh, you know, less than 3.5%. So if you're a buyer and a holder, if you've been locked into an index like the S&P 500, then you've spent the last five months on pins and needles, one day seeing your fortunes go up a percent or two, and the next day watching them go down a percent or two. I mean, all this switch back, back and forth, high drama, high emotion, draining you, probably causing you to get ulcers. And at the end of the day, after five months, you're not even up three and a half percent. Well, that's the reality of the market we're in right now. We've been trading in this, in this range for about seven, eight weeks. We're just really not making any headway one way or the other. I always tell you that the outcome of the stock market, uh, we never know about the certainty of it or about the probability, but for sure we know there were only three outcomes. An index or an individual stock, it can only have one of three outcomes. It's either going to go up, it's going to go down, or it's going to stay the same. Well, the market for the most part has stayed the same most of this year. We've seen some movements, you know, up or down 3%, 4%, one way or the other, but no major corrections and then also no major market gains. This is a very hard market to make money in. It can be very nerve-wracking and very frustrating. There's a lot going on around the globe with everything from the dollar being up to the dollar being down to, you know, over the last 12 months, oil coming down as much as 60%, but then over the last two months, oil being up as much as 40%. Oil is a big driver of not only this economy, but every economy. I'll have a episode here in the not-too-distant future that's going to be dedicated to oil. I've talked about it in the past. I've written about it in blog posts, but I get a lot of questions about it, so we're going to talk more about oil production and what's going on with the, the oil industry right now. 
the improving economy in Europe is a good thing, but you know what? It's barely improving. When we talk about improving, it's basically just coming out of recession and, and maintaining itself. It's not really having exponential growth. That's in spite of the strong dollar, which is helping exports come out of Europe, and then the quantitative easing, the, the easing of money that, that they're doing over there. Uh, China and Japan are continuing to expand their easy money policies, and although their economies are improving, they're just not growing at the rates that you you would expect consequently things like commodity prices copper iron ore you know cement things of those nature building products although we see fluctuations obviously in all those commodities none of them are really breaking up or breaking down they're all kind of stagnant no one has a crystal ball and it's really hard to say where this economy is going to go but for sure we know that because we've been flat for so long because it's just stayed the same for seven eight weeks that market personality can obviously last longer, and it, it may be the theme for 2015, but at some point, the market's either going to break up or it's going to break down. My personal opinion, and this is only a personal opinion, as you know, this podcast can never give you specific guidance or recommendations or offer any type of specific advice. Everything I talk about is edu for educational purposes only and in a general nature to help you think more for yourself and to give you a better understanding of how to make money and how to apply that wealth so that you can have a happier and a more free lifestyle. But just to give you my opinion, to have you understand where my head is at as I try and profit and invest my money and my client money, I want to share some thoughts with you. I did put a blog post this afternoon over at my firm's website, which is investablewealth.com. The title of that article is Buying the Dip This Summer. And I'm just sharing my opinion over there saying that, look, the market's either going to break up or break down. I think that we're at pretty healthy valuations right now. The market is probably right around a 17 times forward earnings. So that would be a PE of 17 times based on earnings over the future 12 months. And that comes out to somewhere a little bit more than like $125 for the S&P collectively. So if you take the closing price of the S&P and you divide it by 17, you're going to come up somewhere around 125. That's what that number refers to. Historically, that's high. Now, that's not astronomically high. That's not the highest it's ever been, but it is on the high side of the historical average, particularly when we look at all the drama we've had over the recent months with the high dollar and the fact that that's had on multinationals and exporters and then the drastic decrease we've had over the last 12 months with the price of oil and then oil's rebound over the last couple months and just all that turbulence that that's brought into the marketplace and all the uncertainty we see across the board that earnings estimates are decelerating and they're coming down significantly from where people thought they were going to be you know six months ago a year ago a year and a half ago the central bank, all the economists, the people that keep telling us that we're going to just have a takeoff velocity, that we're going to hit 3% growth rate this year, and then, you know, in the next 18 months or so, we'll be hitting 4 and 5% growth. Well, that's just not happening. We've been hearing those same old stories since 2008. No matter how much stimulus money they spend, no matter how much the central banks devaluate the money, no matter how low they keep interest rates, the United States seems to be stuck around a 2% growth rate, and despite how pitifully low that is, we're really one of the bright shining spots in the world. So with all that being said, I think the 17 times forward earnings when we see these decelerating corporate profits, when there's the threat of interest rate increases, and, and whether that's going to happen, I have no idea. A lot of smart people have gotten that wrong for six or seven years. 
So I don't know if we're going to see a rate increase in, in September or December, or if it's going to be put off till 2016. But the Federal Reserve has not had an interest rate hike since 2006. So we're almost a decade into this. At some point, you have to believe that rates are, are going to rise. Now, whether they ever get back to the old normals of 5 and 6% on the 10-year Treasury, I don't know if we're going to see that over the next 10, 20 years. I have no way of knowing. We could be in a whole totally different environment. But one way or another, you would have to believe that the 10-year Treasury would have to be higher than 2% growth if real GDP is, in fact, 2% or more. There continues to be uncertainty with Russia and Crimea and the whole Ukraine thing and the constant never-ending instability of the Middle East and how that affects oil prices. The lack of confidence in the banking system and the scandals with, you know, fixing the LIBOR rate or fixing gold prices or whatever the latest, you know, banking or financial scandal is. There's never a shortage of developing and third world countries that may default on their debt, you know, countries like Venezuela or the continuing drama in Europe as to whether Greece will default or whether they'll exit the euro or the political instability that may bleed over into Spain or Portugal or, you know, other parts of southern Europe. This drama never ends. The press likes to hype up and take advantage of whatever stories they can. If you remember, it was just back in October, around the 15th or so of October of last year, that it, we got the first cases of Ebola in the United States. We saw almost a 10% drop in the S&P 500 at that time. And, and really, for the most part, the biggest thing that drove that was the Ebola scare. So it doesn't take much to send these markets into a frenzy, particularly when we're at all-time highs, and there's not necessarily a whole lot of justification for it. Well, I'm off on a tangent here, but the whole point of this was to make you aware of an article and a chart that I have over at investablewealth.com. That's under the article entitled, Buying the Dip This Summer. And all I'm trying to point out there is that we are at pretty high valuations. I've drawn a chart that shows the performance of the S&P 500 over the last five months or so. I have a horizontal line going through that chart that's uh, like a yellowish-orange in color, and that represents the 200-day moving average. And if you look at that chart, you'll see that the 200-day moving average is right around 2040 on the S&P 500. Well, that fits pretty nicely right in the midpoint of the trading range of the S&P 500 over these last five months or so. So what I'm trying to show is that although we're hitting these all-time highs, the S&P is really only about 4% above its 200-day moving average. And when you consider the volatility, you know, you consider the fact that just yesterday alone the market dropped 1%, you can see that within a day or two, if we had just a little bit of panic or uncertainty in the market, we could come off of these all-time highs and we could easily break through the 200-day moving average. The 200-day moving average is really sitting right on the next support level for the S&P 500. I point this out because the 200-day moving average is where a lot of traders and a lot of algorithms are programmed. If the index drops down to the 200-day moving average and then bounces higher, that's a good sign. But if it breaks through, generally you can say that it's going to continue to fall. And if you go back and look at the personality of this market, the last time the S&P 500 broke through its 200-day moving average, that was the only time that it really came close to approaching it, that was back in October 2014, what I just described to you as the Ebola panic. Well, that happened in the fourth quarter of 2014. The market came off of its all-time highs. It dropped down almost 10%. It dropped down about 9.8%. I catalog all of this in the, in the blog post that I put out there today. 
And I'm just trying to paint the picture for you here that if we have anything going on this summer with, you know, the further slowing of the economy or more of a concern that interest rates are going to go up or anything that the media can hype, well, it would be reasonable to think that because we're only about 4% or so off of the 200-day moving average that the S&P could break through that. And so if we receive any bit of news that can spook or panic the market and we get anywhere near a 10% drop. In the example I use in, in the blog post, I talk about an 11.7% drop from recent market highs, which, you know, that's right around a 10%, maybe a 12% pullback. That's hardly a correction at all. That's something well within a realm of possibilities. That's something that you would expect in a healthy market. So don't think that that's out of the question. Just because we haven't had a 20% pullback in the last four years doesn't mean we won't have one again. At some point, we will see another 20% or better pullback. So to assume that over the next three months, over the summer doldrums and things, that we wouldn't see at least an 11 or 12% pullback, I think would be being overly optimistic given the market conditions we're in right now. Now, I'm not predicting that. I would have no way of knowing that. I'm just trying to paint a picture that it's within the realm of possibility. And if that happens, that would put us right around the 1880 mark or 1890 mark on the S&P 500. Well, that puts us right about where support would be for the lows that the market had back in January and December. And so, again, that's within the realm of possibility. If you look at the chart the way I laid it out, I think you'll be able to visually see that a lot better than me talking about on the podcast right now. But the point I want to make is that I drew a horizontal green line on that chart, which represents 1880 on the S&P 500. That's where the S&P 500 would be at a 15 times earnings, which I believe would be a pretty good value. People are always asking me, well, you know, when you're swing trading, how do you know when to get back in the market? Again, I'm not offering recommendation. I'm just telling you that this is a chart that I'm looking at. If we do see a pullback this summer, if we can drop down around that 1880 level, that will put the S&P 500 at about 15 times earnings, which would be a very fair price based on the information as we have it today. And I would most likely consider that a good time to buy into the market. So if you haven't seen that, you might want to go over to Investable Wealth. Check out that article. You can also sign up to be subscribed to whenever I update those blog posts. I don't do it on a real regular basis. I get a lot of requests for me to put more information out there. I'm working towards that, but right now you'll see that I probably only post about once a month or so. So if you sign up, you don't have to worry about getting spam with anything. You're not going to get junk email from me. So don't worry about that. If you decide you don't like being on the list, it's easy to unsubscribe. In any case, that's out there. Check out that chart. It's a very simple yet effective way, I believe, for you to look at where the market is today and to get a feel for the, where the support levels are and where you might want to buy into this summer if, in fact, we do have some type of a correction or a pullback. Let's talk about ways that you can protect your profits, particularly when we're at or near all-time highs. I'm going to talk to you today about two methods one is by using a stop loss method and the other is by using a protective put. Now I think these are important concepts for you to understand. I'm only going to talk to you about them at a high level. Um, if nothing else, I'd like you to at least walk away with a better understanding of the terminology and a definition for these words. Even if you're not actively using these type techniques, it will help you to, to better understand investment strategies and I think provide you with a better understanding of what can be done to protect and to lock in your profits. 
I also want to point out these methods that I'm describing and in particular the way I'm describing them are more to protect your profits and not so much to profit from a down market, although you can do that with puts but that would not be a protective put. And again, this is more of a terminology thing. I'm not going to get into the whole conversation with it, but a put is an option that you can purchase. Depending upon what type of strategy you're employing it with, it can either be a speculative put if it's, quote, naked, or it can be a protective put if you own the position. I'll get into that in a minute. I just do, I do want to make that distinction. And then if you are interested in profiting from a down market, well, that's not what we're going to talk about today, but I did talk about that in episode 88. That was back, I think, sometime around the end of February of this year. So you can look up that podcast. I think it was called uh, something like three ways to short and take advantage of a downtrend. So check that out. I do talk about puts in there, but those are more speculative naked puts, not protective puts. A protective put, and I'll just clarify again here, and we'll get into this more with the podcast, but a protective put will not allow you to profit in a downward market, but it will allow you to lock in your profits that you've already made. Okay, so we'll get into that distinction in a second. Let's first talk about stop-loss orders. First of all, what is a stop-loss order? Well, you may have heard someone say that they were invested in so-and-so, but it started to come down and they were stopped out of their position. What they mean is that they had a stop-loss order on that particular stock or exchange-traded fund. And what that is, is it's an automated order that you put in with your broker that when your stock, your exchange-traded fund, hits a particular price, that a market order is executed and your position is sold and you're done with it. And the reason you would do that is to protect and to lock in your profits. So, for example, when you buy a new position, you may put in a stop-loss order that's say 8% from the price that you purchased it at. And what that would do would be to protect your initial investment so that you only had an 8% loss. You'll hear me many times talk on this podcast about risk mitigation and, and how when I go into a position, I try and limit my losses to say 5 or 10%. I'm looking for gains of maybe 15 to 30%, but I don't want to lose any more than 5 or 10% on a given trade. Well, one way to ensure that is when you first make your stock purchase, you put in a stop loss order. This is particularly important for those of you that don't have the opportunity like I do to sit there every day and to watch my positions, you know, because you're working full time or you're away from your computer or whatever. So you can put in that order with your broker. You do it automatically through, you know, E-Trade or Schwab or whatever trading platform you're using. When you're making your trades and buying and selling, you'll see, you know, when you pull up your menu, it'll say things like, you know, buy, sell, or it'll say stop loss or stop limit. These are some of the terminologies you'll see on the order menu. So here's how the stop loss works. I mentioned that you might want to put it in to ensure that you're not going to lose, you know, more than 8% or something when you first buy the position. Well, you can also use that now that you've maybe held that position for a month or six months or 10 years or however long you've held it. You can also put a stop loss order in when we're at the top of the market to say, well, hey, I've already made a 20% profit on this index or this stock. Should it drop two, three, five percent whatever it is, I want to sell it because I just want to lock in my profits. I know that I might not be handy or near a computer when it's starting to fall, so I'll just put in this order now. It's automated. That's something you might want to consider. In addition to just being a stop loss, you can also have the opportunity to put in a trailing stop loss order. Now, this could be defined differently depending upon what broker you're with and what technology they use. But the broker that I use, they employ a trailing stop loss method that's based on the recent high price. So you could say, 
If my stock or my exchange-traded fund drops more than whatever percent, 5%, 8%, 10% from a recent high, I want to sell and drop out of my position. And then going forward, you know, every day that that stock advances and keeps making new highs, since you have a trailing stop loss in there, the high end keeps going up. So if there ever is a pullback, it's always based on the highest recent closing price of that stock. And the advantage to this is that you don't have to go in and continually be resetting your stop loss. You can just put in a trailing stop loss. As your stock goes up, the stop loss will move up. If your stock does drop down and falls below that level that you've predetermined and you'll be stopped out of that position and you'll be able to preserve your profits. Now you may be saying, well, hey, that's great. This is the best thing since sliced bread. Why doesn't everybody use that? Well, I just told you the pros of that. The pro is that you can use this as an automated method for locking in your profits. But there are a couple cons and negatives with it. One problem is, and you may have noticed this already, I've only told you that this can be used with stocks and exchange-traded funds. And many of you, particularly those of you that are locked into like 401k programs, you know that you can't invest in those things they force you into owning mutual funds, and this isn't a method that can be employed with a mutual fund. So if you're strictly into mutual funds, you can't use a stop loss. So it is limited to stocks and exchange-traded funds, and it's pretty much limited to those of you that, that either manage your own IRAs or Roth IRAs through a discount broker, or for those of you that use a money manager or a uh, full-service stockbroker. The other downside to this, and, and one reason that I don't recommend that everybody use it, is that it provides you with a false sense of security. And the reason I say that is, is that even if you're using something like a trailing stop loss, it doesn't ensure that you're going to sell your stock for a particular price. For example, you may own a stock that's currently trading for $50. And you want to protect your profit or your position in that. And so you'll say that, well, if it drops to $48, I'm going to have a stop loss order in there and I'm going to liquidate my position. Well, that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed for a price of $48. It just means that your market order will be executed sometime after that stock hits the price of $48. Now, let me explain that. And this may be a little confusing for those of you that aren't active traders. So listen and, and follow closely to what I'm saying. Whenever you sell a stock, you have the ability to sell it at the market, which is the next available price, or you have the ability to put a limit on what that stock will be sold for. Whenever you put in a traditional stop loss, it gets executed at some time after that stop loss price has been reached, and then it is executed at a market order. So a market order means whatever the market price is, that's what it's sold for. Regardless of what you want to sell it for, it's going to sell for a market price. And with a stop loss order, it's going to happen sometime after it hits that stop loss price that you've specified. Now I'm making this point because it's very critical to understand and I'm trying to say it with the least complexity as possible. So go back and rewind and listen to what I'm saying here if it's not making sense to you. But the fact that it's sold at a market order and it's sold sometime in the future are very important. Those are two key concepts that it's important for you to understand. Let's get back to the example I gave. You own a stock, it's selling at $50. You want to put in a stop loss order when it hits 48. Well, when it hits 48, that means that your order will be executed, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be executed at $48 it will be executed on or after the next immediate trade from that stock hitting that $48 price. Now, it all depends on when you're in the queue 
as to when your particular order is executed. You've heard of high-frequency traders, how they can get in front of regular retail traders. Well, if there's a bunch of high-frequency traders, they're going to get in front of you. You can be sure that if Goldman Sachs or somebody else like that that's trading millions or billions of dollars, they're going to get in front of you. And so you can see that even though you've put in your order to be executed when the stock hits $48, that doesn't mean that you're going to trade one nanosecond after that. You may trade seven nanoseconds after that. You may trade seven minutes after that. It all depends on where you're at in the queue. So that's, that's the one thing for you to understand. It doesn't mean that you're going to get instantaneously the best price. It doesn't mean that you're going to get $48. It means that you're going to get the market price at the time that your order is executed. Now the other side of that is that it's a market order. So that means that you could get $48. It could mean you're going to get less than $48. It could mean that you're going to get more than $48. It all depends on what the offer price is, whatever the market price is selling for at the instant that your order is executed. That's very important for you to understand in this age of these fast computerized software and these, this high frequency trading because that price can vary dramatically. You've heard of the term flash crash. Well, flash crashes occur not just because of high-frequency traders or because of speculators, but also because of prudent individual investors like yourself that are employing techniques like stop loss. You see, you're not the only person that would be smart enough to put in a $48 sell price on the particular stock that you hold. You and maybe millions of other people have done the exact same thing. So at that instant, when it hits that price, it's not just your order going in, but it could potentially be thousands of or millions of other people having their same stop loss order executed. And so what that means is that you risk the possibility of that price snowballing downward and thus causing a flash crash. And so at one minute, the stock could be trading at $48, and then 13 minutes later, it's trading for $7 right? And and the bottom just fell out of it. Everybody got out at one time. It's a bunch of computers trading with each other. Now, as much as Wall Street and, and the NASDAQ and these people say that they, they have these systems in place to prevent that, you know that that's not accurate because many times you hear about a particular stock or even an index that may experience a flash crash where in seconds, the price drops 5, 10, 20%, and then it bounces right back up. Well, remember, depending upon where you're at in the queue, that might mean that you thought you were going to sell your stock for $48, but you really ended up selling it for $43. And then immediately after you sold it, people were coming in buying it, and it ends up closing at the end of the day at $53, even though you sold it for considerably some less. So you should be aware of that risk of, of the flash crash, knowing that you're not going to be the next immediate order in the queue, and that that is a downside risk. Now, one way that you can prevent that is to not just do a stop loss order, but to do a stop limit order. And by doing that, you would say, not only do you want to sell it if it hits a particular threshold, like $48, but you could also say that you don't want to take any less for your stock than $48, or then $47.50 or $46.27, you know, whatever that amount that you're comfortable with, you can specify that. And so that designates the limit part of the order. But like all limit orders, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get that price. And so although you wouldn't sell it for any less than that, it also might mean that you're not going to be able to sell your stock at all. And so if your stock doesn't experience a flash crash, but if the bottom actually falls out of your stock and your $50 stock 
suddenly drops down to $42 and remains there, and you had a stop-loss limit to sell at $48 but take no less than $47.50, well, if you weren't in the queue when it hit $47.50 and it went below that, then your limit order is no longer going to be filled, and you're going to be stuck holding that stock when it dropped all the way down to $42. So again, these are some limitations on why stop-loss orders aren't the panacea for everything. They don't solve all your problems, and you shouldn't be overconfident or over-reliant that they're going to protect your profits. They are effective, but you need to know how to use them, and then you have to know that they're not going to protect you in every situation. But that's one method, the stop-loss, and then it has other variations. As we discussed, stop limit orders and trailing stop orders. If you're not familiar with them, Google the terms, read more about it on the internet, call up your discount broker. I'm sure they'll be happy to tell you more about them and specifically walk you through the steps of how you would use them on their particular trading platform. I know these concepts can be confusing. I did want to take the time to try and explain it properly. We are going long here. There's still a few points I want to make about setting your price for your stop loss, whether that's at or below a support level like the 50-day moving average. We are going long here. I'm kind of running out of time on this episode, so let's do this. I'm going to cut this off today. I'll come back tomorrow. We'll finish up the concept of using stop-loss orders, and then we'll jump right into using protective puts. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As always, if you have questions or concerns or you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do that through the website, wealthsteading.com. Until tomorrow, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.